Thank you for the music. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2 as we look at verses 10 through 23. 10 through 23. We've been looking at these chairs, so I'll put these back out for you. Chair 1, chair 2, and chair 3. I'm going to read verse 10. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And then we'll look at the verses after that in the message. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day, these people that have come out this evening. And I thank you most of all for your love and your grace, allowing us to do this, giving us this opportunity, this wonderful blessing of being able to praise you and worship you. And, and I just pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your word, your truth, and I pray that you'll be able to uh, uh, speak the way that you so desire, that we won't hinder you in any way, and that we'll allow you to convict us, to encourage us, to teach us, to instruct us in whatever way you would have us to. And, and I pray that we'll leave this place rejoicing because we've certainly... Um, allowed you to speak to our minds and our hearts and we've in unity uh, joined in and, and uh, agreed to go forward uh, under your power, by your grace, uh, under your authority, uh, going out to live the life that you would have us to live. So God, help us to glorify you in this service and as we leave this service to be all that we need to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, until the end of Joshua's lifetime, we see chair one, that generation, followed their leader and served the Lord. The next generation, they knew God and knew the stories about what he had done, but they, as far as their experience, they hadn't experienced a lot of them. And the third generation knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A breakdown had occurred. We talked about this. The Bible shares with us that uh, there was a priest breakdown. Also, uh, not only that, but the fathers. We see that the fathers failed to teach them uh, in that laboratory of life to uh, how to communicate uh, with God and how to walk with God in a vital way. And so result eventually came by or as spiritual amnesia. And with this, a generation came and went, and now we have Israel who looks no different than the Canaanites uh, in the land that they live by. Now, the key here, the key to the period of Judges was the failure of Israel to make an inherited faith a personal faith. The failure of Israel to to make an inherited faith a personal faith. Now, the writer summarizes here basically 340 years of history in, in, in verses 11 through 19. This was a time where Israel uh, endured a recurring cycle. And this is so very important. This is what we're going to be looking at tonight, the recurring cycle. And don't think that it doesn't happen to us also. We see a cycle where, first of all, there was apostasy. 
then servitude, then repentance, then deliverance. As one other writer put it, the cycle occurred as rebellion or apostasy, then retribution or chastisement, then repentance or supplication, and restoration or deliverance, and then a rest or a period of peace. Now, their rebellion was not, as we talked about, something that just all of a sudden they decided to rebel. It wasn't like that. It was a gradual thing. And, and isn't this the way it is in our lives also? It is usually something that is gradual. It, does, it doesn't just happen to us out of the uh, you know, middle of the night uh, usually, but it, most of the time it's a gradual thing. Satan is very subtle in what he does. And so little by little we begin to fall away. And the actions of Israel soon uh, revealed the disloyalty that they had in their heart to the covenant that they had entered into with Yahweh. And they ignored the beliefs, the values, and the goals of their fathers. And so instead of living and walking with the Lord and being committed to the Lord, what had happened was there was a cycle of degeneration. And we're going to be looking at that cycle more closely here. Look in, in verse 11, the, the rebellion apostasy cycle. It says, then the, um, this is the first stage, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. What is the nature of Israel's sin here? Well, the sons of Israel, it says, did evil in the sight of Yahweh. This phrase is repeated seven times in this book. So it should get us, uh, get attention uh, and give, uh, get our attention of the importance of it that he's trying to bring out. This sin of transgression is repeated a number of times in three verses here. Forsaking the Lord and serving other gods. We talked about this last week. Apathy and indifference to God and the faith of their fathers here has now turned to forsaking God to serve the false gods of Canaan. Now, I want, I want us to look at that. Apathy and indifference causing them to turn to forsaking God and serving the false gods of Canaan. The same thing happens with us people. We need to be very careful. If there is not repentance and not a cleansing, there will be a distancing of you, not only from God, but from God's people. You look at this and you see it in the lives of people who are living this kind of life. They begin to say, well, Christianity 
doesn't mean that much anymore. Church isn't that fun anymore. Church isn't that exciting anymore. Well, it's not about, it may involve church, and it does. It may involve the music. It may involve the preaching. It may involve the Sunday school teaching, whatever. But let me share with you, that is not the source of our excitement. That is not the source of our commitment. The source of our commitment is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that relationship on a personal level, then we're certainly not going to have it on a collective level with other believers. We're going to be looking at the externals only and not the internals. And so we see that uh, Israel's apostasy was that they forsook Yahweh, their loving covenant-keeping God. Their loving covenant-keeping God. It wasn't God forsaking them in the sense that he left them and he said, you know, I'm going to go and do my thing. No, he's always been faithful to who he is. It is his people who turn their backs on him and on his word that they had at that time and ignored God's past faithfulness and loving kindness. This is exactly what happens with us when we begin to allow apathy and indifference to set in. When we begin to turn our backs on God. What happens is we turn our backs on His Word and what it says. We're not spending time in God's Word the way that we should and not allowing God's Word to spend time in us the way it should. We are not allowing God to speak to us. And so in turn, what we do is we ignore what God has done. When we sin deliberately, what are we doing? We're deliberately going against a God who has been faithful to us and who has been a, a loving kind, uh, or his loving kindness, the, uh, his character that he so exemplified through his actions on the cross and through his actions of reaching down to us when we didn't deserve it, nor do we ever deserve it. He reached down and, and forgave us by sending his son and he died on the cross and suffered in our place so that we could be forgiven for our sins and have a walk with him and be set free in Christ Jesus. And we forsake that. We overlook that. We turn our backs on that when we deliberately sin. When we deliberately sin, we're no different than Israel. We ignore God's past faithfulness and loving kindness and turn our back on his word, the word of God. But then the second stage, the retribution, ch chastisement stage. A lot of them don't like this, but uh, have to, having to go through that, especially if you're in sin and if you're drifting away from God, you don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to hear what God says. You don't want to be set free because why? You have strongholds in your life and you are now bound to those strongholds that Satan has set up in your life. 
You're chained, you're shackled by the sin that you're in or sins that you're in. And you are turning from God. It says, and the angel of the Lord, or the angel anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. He wanted them to get to that point where they would turn. God loves us. Do you know that God's in control of Satan? Do you know that? Do you know that he allows Satan to come and be a thorn in, in our flesh? Do you know that? He allowed it with Paul, didn't he? He allowed, and he allows just so much so when he asked permission to what? To, uh, to attack Job. And even with Peter to sift him. God doesn't allow him to come to persecute us in the sense of destroying us, but to bring us to our knees so that we will see better things. And so as he does this to chastise Israel for their repeated sin, God used their enemies on all sides to enslave them. What does he do with us? Our enemies, the enemies that we truly are against, what does he do with those if we are deliberately in sin? If we're in sin with, uh, in, in living with uh, drugs and different things like that, that enemy there, he will so often allow to what? Overtake that person to the point where they would bring, they'll be brought to their knees to the, to the sense that they want deliverance. They can't find deliverance on their own. Alcohol, drugs, sex. And, 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 and going through that and just, and just going through one to the next to the next, never being satisfied and being bound with that to the point where you finally come to that, that position where you say, hey, you know, I've got to get out of this. This is a, 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 you know, this is a dead end. I'm doing wrong. And God says, okay, I finally got your attention. Whatever it might be, lying, stealing, whatever. He allows these to, what? To overcome us sometimes, our enemies, to the point where it brings us to our knees. Not for us to sin, but for us to realize that we can't get out from this without his help, without his authority. Their enemies harassed and exploited them. A vivid description of Israel's rebellious ways and resultant sufferings at the hand of God is given to us in Psalm 106, 34 through 45. They did not destroy, it says, the peoples and the Lord, that as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood, 
Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he abhorred his inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the nations. And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. And they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. And he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. Wow. How can he do that? Man, I want to tell you, somebody turns their back on me, somebody... It talks about me, somebody runs me down all the time, somebody that's always criticizing, always tearing down. Do you think, just like you, do you, do you really want to uh, reach out to them and say, hey, man, I love you? No. Your flesh says, man, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. All you are is critical. All you are is downgrading. All you are is seeing fault. All you are is being judgmental. All you are is being demonic. All you are is being out of God's will. All you are is, is trying to destroy me. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. May the worst come upon you. May the plagues of the apocalypse fall upon you. That's what you feel like saying. Man, I don't see how God does this. Man, we rebel against God. We do the same thing to him when we, when we go in our sin and we go the opposite way and, and we're destructive towards him. Tearing him down, tearing his name down. We're basically talking about him, running him down. Just being mean about him. By our actions, not necessarily our words. And God in his loving kindness still reached down to them. Wow. Man, we have an awesome God. No matter what tra uh, strategy they developed for getting ahead, though, they couldn't. You see, God in his loving kindness kept on allowing this to happen so that they couldn't get out on their own so that they would have to turn to God. Oh, well, you know, I can get out of this. But, or, you know, I, I'll rationalize in my mind that this is okay. You know, whether we're saying that or not. We do that so often. Oh, well, you know, that's just the way you think. This is the way I think. And we just keep on moving further and further away. God says, okay, you, you're going to move further and further away from me. You're going to find out what it means to be in, in bondage, truly. You're set free right now. But as you sin, you move further and further away in bondage. And you'll find out that you're, you're bound to that and you cannot get out on your own. Don't you remember? As he cries out to believers, don't you remember what I did for you? Don't you remember how I set you free? And now you're moving back into the same thing. But you know what? He stayed by them, didn't he? In his loving kindness, he would bring them out. Physically, they felt the hardness of oppression. Economically, they knew the effects of poverty. Spiritually, they, became, they began to understand the errors of their way. They began to say, hey, I can't get out of this. 
The cause was rejection of truth. Then the next stage, repentance and supplication. Now, restless and miserable and defeated Israel turned to God and cried out for help numerous times over and over again. Now, the supplication for deliverance is not specifically mentioned in these verses here, but we know from the narratives of the main judges this was a process. This was one of the uh, cycles or the stages of the cycle that the Lord responded to because Israel repented and turned to God over and over again. Judges 3, 9, 15, 4, 3, 6, uh, verses 6 and 7 and 10, 10. Such repentance may be alluded though here in these words to in verse 18 for the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed and afflicted them it could have been in that assuming that it might be but this cycle is definitely or stage of cycle is definitely in there and then restoration then it moves to deliverance restoration deliverance after repentance when Israel turned to God he intervened to deliver them out of a heart of compassion, the Lord raised up judges who delivered his people from the hands of those who oppressed them. Now, the point of the writer here is that God graciously saved the people in spite of their pridefulness, their proneness to sin against him. That is an awesome God. You see, the judges that God raised up served him as representatives, speaking and acting on his behalf. Now God sovereignly chose them and he worked through them. And without God's aid, the Israelites would have remained powerless. But he did this in restoring them. And so there came that restoration and deliverance. And then came the peace, the rest and the peace, period of peace, you know, the judges God raised up, if you look at them and if you recall them, uh, to deliver it, uh, Israel from the enemy, uh, were individuals selected by God in uh, emergency times for, for specific times. And they were raised up to, to bring Israel back and to uh, protect them, but they were not perfect judges, as we will see as we study. They did not lived the perfect life and many of them as the judges went on it seemed like some of them got worse and worse so they would experience a time of rest after this and peace from the enemy after the judges were called out by God and God used them but with each stage and this is important with each stage in this cycle of decline came a worse attitude of apathy indifference and rebellion people left to ourselves God wants us to reach that point where we will reach out to him but he will let us continue to go on now we talked about this before here in America we talked about well boy if God doesn't destroy California for uh, you know the homosexuality out there and all this and he owes uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, uh, an apology. No, he doesn't. God's not called to work in one way and one way only, is he? Do you think that just like with this, he doesn't say, okay, to try and get your attention to, uh, and judgment's coming upon us and, 
and him working in that way, he doesn't allow us to become more and more locked in and chained to that belief and accepting more and more. I want to show you. This is what happens if we're not careful. I want you to turn over to Romans. Romans chapter 1. You know it well. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, this is how he deals with us. It doesn't mean that he has to destroy us to get our attention. But this is what he says, okay, this is what you want, then I'll let you have it. And he'll let us have more and more and with his intent of us repenting, but it doesn't always happen that way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his visible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So everybody's without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and in their foolish heart it was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Oh, how wise we are today, aren't we? We are such a smart society. And exchanged the glory of the incorrupt. Un- incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. How we worship what we make and who we are today. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity and their bodies uh, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's all about me, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do these things which are are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness. Now you look at all these. It's not just homosexuality. Greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Uh Uh-oh. What did he say there? They are gossips. He threw that in there. Wow. Slanderers. Uh-oh. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding. Untrustworthy. Wow. Unloving. Unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God. Here it is, people. This is where it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And although they 
know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Accepting it. Allowing it to be a part of us. And seeing that it's okay. Now this cycle, some people would say, well, you know, it's just a cycle. and We're in an endless cycle. No, 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 no. This is a declining cycle of apostasy. We're not, we're not suggesting an endless cycle like that of the Greeks, right? Amen? The Greeks believed in the uh, cyclical view of history. They believed that each succeeding generation did the same things the previous generation did. History to them, in other words, had no goal, no meaning. Now, what does that do to a person's life? It becomes fatalistic, doesn't it, in attitude. Isn't that what is happening with a lot of people today? I mean, uh, in, in a like manner, existentialists, believe the same thing and that's a big thing today why why do you see so much fatalistic mindset in people today we have accepted that unbiblical view it life is not an endless cycle for them history is without meaning and only a succession of events which have no significance. But the biblical view of history is different. It reveals that God, what? Has purposes in history and that history is moving towards the grand gold of the reign of Christ on earth. He is coming back. There is a purpose. And so God will intervene in the future to bring this about. God is not absent he is here and we need to understand that he is not an absentee landlord he is involved in matters of this world and the universe is not a closed system defying his intervention nor is history drifting aimlessly along without design or purpose it has a design and purpose so God shows us that he is involved in the book of the cycles, in the book of Judges. God intervened to judge evil during the days of Judges, and he rewarded the righteous. We continually see the faithfulness of God, as we saw in the Scripture, and the faithlessness of those who called themselves by his name. Now, if these people were fickle and stubborn as they were and, and transcendent. Why did God repeatedly raise up judges to deliver the rebellious Israelites? Judges tells us in 2, 17, 19 that the Israelites did not heed the judges but turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked. Furthermore, after the death of the judge, 
they would stand back and act more what? Corruptly, it says. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. And throughout the period, there was a progressive deterioration. Each successive cycle being characterized by a greater descent into apostasy and corruption and by a more superficial repentance than the one preceding it. And the only explanation for the provision of judges or deliverers is to be found in the character of God. And only that, in the character of God. His faithfulness, His forbearance, His love, and His grace. Judges reveals to us both the evilness of man's heart in each cycle as it's repeated and we see the loving kindness and graciousness and forbearing of God. The section Judges 2, 20-23 provides a fitting conclusion to this dreary recital of human failure. It discloses the divine purpose in the dark circumstances in which Israel found herself. Here we find how Israel's failure to drive out the Canaanites would be used by God to accomplish his purpose for the nation. The Bible teaches that shame, and this is so very important, that shame and guilt are to act as deterrents to further sin. In Psalm 44:15 and Ezekiel 43:11, we see that it leads to or it's made it's there for us to be led to repentance, as in 2 Corinthians 7:10. When we stifle these feelings as we are so apt to do today, that is, shame and guilt, and then our repentance will be just like theirs, and that is shallow. And we'll soon experience a depression. And they soon had little or no awareness of God. He was distanced. They were unconcerned with him. And he was unreachable to them. When depression is caused by sin, it leads to a loss of a sense of self-esteem or of esteem accompanied by a feeling of helplessness and powerlessness within. And these feelings can lead to dejection and the, a lessening ability to cope with life. God, though, when we repent, he can turn that around and we can find that there is meaning in life and we don't have to be depressed and we don't have to feel rejected because we're loved by God Almighty no matter what we've done or, or what mistakes we've made. But the vital ingredients of mental, emotional, spiritual health is daily, diligent Bible study. I'm not talking about just a, a uh, devotional time. That's fine. But I'm talking about if you really want God to deal with your heart and you have a healthy uh, lifestyle and a health, healthy life in Christ, then you've got to have a diligent Bible study where the Holy Spirit is able to speak to your heart. Not just one on Sunday, but one during the week. You've got to have that time with the Lord. 
and a prayer life that keeps us vitally in tune with the Lord, talking with Him, not so much depending upon other humans or upon society to solve our problems, but upon God. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not sent sometimes to people with, uh, you know, to, to help us emotionally and, other, and in other ways, but it means that we should be praying that God will lead us to these people that will help us. And not just depending upon humans to help us. And leaving God out of the equation. And fellowship with other believers that keeps Christ at the center of our life. And we talked about this. People, I am very concerned. I am very concerned. About the apathy. And about the coldness that develops in people that are in churches. And I, I am just very concerned in the, in, in the sense of what, what chair are they sitting in? Have they ever sat in chair one or two? Are they on the books only by name only? Are they truly believers? Now, one of the key things about this is you cannot grow in your Christian life the way that God would, intend, would have you uh, intend to grow without being around other believers in Jesus Christ because you need that fellowship, you need that strength from other believers, and you also need that accountability from God and, and Him working through other believers. And it really concerns me to see this. And it all boils down to, as Daniel said, the word commitment. He used that this morning. The reason God allowed the Canaanites to remain was to test the faithfulness of the generation that followed Joshua. That's why he allows us to go into this. To show us how much truly we are committed to the Lord. If we are committed to the Lord. It was a searching test, a variable ordeal by fire. And for the most part, Israel failed to pass. Each generation failed to profit from the past. They made the same mistakes. This is why he doesn't blame it on the former generation. Like we so often want to blame our problems on other people. He said, you have sinned. You have uh, gone away from the Lord. You have drifted. You are supposed to have a walk with me, but you don't have that walk with me. They made the same mistakes. They permitted the knowledge of God to become obscure by other considerations. When that happened, temporal advantages became of greater importance to them than spiritual realities. The here and now. The how I feel. The what's going on. We all, you know, we, we test it by this. I am so tired of hearing people say today, well, you know, it just doesn't do this for me or it just doesn't do that for me. It's a here and now. Well, let me ask you, do they have a relationship with the Lord? Is it going on in their life? 
And what are they looking for? Man, you know, it, it, it really bothers me when, I, when you hear these people say this and they're never connected to one place where they, want, where they can allow God to work through them and they can serve God. The oppression became even more severe. The root cause of Israel's waywardness was a lack of personal conviction. They had no knowledge of God, either by experience or by observation. They did not know him personally, nor had they witnessed any of his actions in their own life. Because pagan beliefs offered them the promise of prosperity, they readily adopted these practices. I wonder how many people today readily allow what's going on in their life right then, speaking to their senses, to control them instead of having a deep personal relationship with the Lord. You'll see them. Soon, if there's not enough going on there for them, they'll go somewhere else. Or they'll not go at all. We struggle with our senses to convey reality. We act on them. And human reason swayed by circular, secular opinions that seem to promise what we most desire. And the process begins with disobedience to the revealed will of God. One scholar said, God knows how prone we are to lose sight of him when we do not seem to need him and to forget him when things are going well. He therefore often allows adversaries to stand in our way. A sick baby, an unfair employer, an unpleasant neighbor, an unfaithful friend in order to keep us close to himself. C.S. Lewis explained it this way. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God used affliction, the megaphone of affliction, to get Israel's attention. Will he have to do that? with the church today will he have to do it with us apathy a lack of concern a proneness to drift a proneness to blame everybody else now that's one of the keys people if you run into people that are always blaming somebody else then you know more than likely, they're not where they need to be with the Lord and they're drifting from Him. I guarantee you that. But if they're allowing God to speak to their heart and see where they are with the Lord and what they need to improve, then they are walking with God. Let's bow our heads in prayer.